Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Finance Podcast, where we bring you interviews with leaders from the global finance industry, as well as news and developments from Guernsey's financial services sector. My name is Brandon Ashplant and I am a head of technical here at Guernsey Finance. For those who don't know, Guernsey is a leading global finance centre, renowned for its economic substance, political stability and asset security. The island is a committed leader in the global sustainable finance movement. To find out more about Guernsey's success in sustainable finance, tune into our sister podcast, the Sustainable Finance Guernsey Podcast. We are delighted to welcome today's guest, David White, Managing Director of QB Partners, who uh, provide independent technical support to financial advisors and product providers. Uh, QB Partners has a team of consultants with experience and knowledge in a number of different areas um, of cross-border financial planning. David's own technical background is in pensions, and he has been a SSAS pensioner trustee and a staff pension scheme trustee, as well as running personal and executive pensions. Prior to establishing QB Partners back in 2009, uh, David was sales director at an international life assurance company. David is a chartered insurer and holds the ACII uh, qualification. In this episode, we'll be discussing the use of pensions uh, in private planning and private wealth planning in in particular, along with considerations when choosing a pension domicile. So without further ado, welcome, David. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Glad glad to be here. So just to tell you a little bit about myself, I've worked in financial services, as you said, all my life, uh, mainly for life insurance companies in the technical and sales functions within those companies. And in 2009, I saw the opportunity to establish my own business, which is something I always wanted to do. I wanted to sort of take a break from corporate life. And we saw the opportunity really in international pensions at that point, particularly QROPs, which are uh, qualifying recognized overseas pension schemes. And that was an area which had become very topical, very popular. Financial advisors were talking about it a lot, uh, but we felt that they needed some help with it because it was a complex area. So we Uh, established ourselves as a small firm of consultants who specialised in that particular area. Financial advisors have to be um, experts in all types of financial planning, and and that's not always possible to the depth that they need to be. So we wanted to help them with that particular area of planning. So that quite quickly developed into other forms of international pensions and other forms of cross-border planning. And in 2018, we took some additional consultants on and started looking at uh, trust and estate planning, and wealth insurance. And uh, as of today, we've got a small team of uh, technical consultants, and we help financial advisors and product providers around the world with all aspects of financial planning, apart from investment, really. So for investment, we leave that to the investment experts, but although all other areas of financial and tax planning, we can provide assistance with. So we've got a small team. We're actually based in the Isle of Man, um, but we deal with people all over the world. Brilliant. I just want to take the listeners and, and yourself back to November uh, of last year, back in 2023, um, because, you, of course, you spoke at um, Guernsey's annual Private Wealth Forum on yeah. a panel uh, titled A Changing World, Market Trends and Their Impact. Firstly, how did you find the event? And also, you know, what were your kind of key takeaways from, from that day? Oh, yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed the day. Um, I was pleased to have been invited. I've been to uh, Guernsey Finance event a couple of years before and I was very impressed with how it was all put together so yeah I was I was delighted when I was uh, asked to uh, get involved in it and the day was very well put together as I said 
you know, I, I see it's a benchmark for, for such events, really. Um, you know, if we, if we put on events ourselves, I'd like to think that we could, you know, use that event as a benchmark. Our events might be a bit smaller and less grand, but, um, you know, there's some great sort of learning points that come out of that in terms of how to run an event. Not, not least the fact that, you know, you had a very high profile keynote speaker, not me, uh, somebody much more high profile uh, than me. As you know, it was Trevor McDonald, uh, the newsreader. And he was fantastic. And I think I think what that does very well is, one, it sort of, you know, attracts people to the event. There's lots of these events on and it's very sort of competitive. But if you have a very high profile keynote speaker, it gets people attracted to come to the event. Uh, and also you put the keynote speaker on at the end, uh, the, old, the old trick, and therefore people stay throughout the event. So, you know, what I was impressed with was um, the venue and the way it was put together, the diversity of attendees uh, you know across the private wealth sector yeah you had people from law firms there i met estate agents um very high-end estate agents i have to say from mayfair um and i met financial planners i met people from product providers and trust companies and not not just from guernsey obviously but from london and, and around the uk and from other jurisdictions as well so yeah it was really good i mean in terms of key takeaways there was a lot of, uh, I was sat on a panel with two uh, very sort of high profile investment managers um, and there was a lot of discussion about uh, ESG investments and, and the importance of that. Uh, we, we touched on AI as well and how AI is becoming more prevalent within the financial services world. And we had some sort of quite interesting debate about, you know, how does AI fit in? If it does, with private wealth planning, because private high net worth private individuals want and value a personal service. But on the other hand, if, if we can use AI in the right way, it can it can bring costs down and, and therefore add better value to the products that are available to, to these individuals. So that was that was another thing that I found was interesting from, from the debate. Interesting. And thanks for the, for the kind words about the event. It's brilliant to hear that. No problem. We're seeing a lot of um, sort of crossover again. So private wealth focused, private wealth forums, obviously, as it suggests in the name, is, is a private wealth focused industry event. Um, but it seems pension products are increasingly sort of, you know, forming part of the investment strategy in this space. And, you know, more and more, like you say, people are looking to, to this as a, as a key kind of facet of their sort of, you know, investment strategy and investment planning. You know, would, would you sort of, I guess you, you do agree with it, otherwise you wouldn't sort of have turned up at the event on the day. But, but you know, why is this happening? Why, why are we seeing this? Yeah, I don't necessarily, uh, I, I make a distinction between uh, investments and, and financial planning. I don't necessarily see pensions as uh, an investment, but I completely agree that they are and are increasingly becoming a key important area in people's financial planning. And, you know, I think one of the big reasons for that is the fact that um, pensions are given great incentives by the government in the form of tax relief to encourage people to save for their pension in the UK, but also in other jurisdictions around the world. And the reason for that is that if people save for their pension and, and provide for themselves in retirement, then they're uh, less reliant on the state. So it makes long-term political and economic sense to encourage people to save into their pension because that reduces uh, reliance on the state. So in my view, everybody should have a pension as a key part of their financial planning, and it's a, a cornerstone, a, a foundation of, of financial planning. But in spite of my view and in spite of the incentives, not everybody does have um, pensions as part of their financial planning. And you know, going back to the sort of private 
wealth space, particularly I think entrepreneurs are not very good at pension planning because a lot of entrepreneurs are very focused on their business or businesses and they see their business as their pension. So, you know, when I, when I retire, I'm going to sell my business and I'm going to um, use that to pay for my retirement. That doesn't always work out. Um, you know, sometimes things can go wrong within business, however well they run. And sometimes that doesn't always work out. So it's important really for, I think, individuals to segregate their uh, wealth and segregate their assets, particularly between their business and their, their pension, which is for their retirement planning. So that if there is a problem with the business at some point, then you've still got your, your pension planning. So it, yes, is it is it becoming an increased part of private wealth and investment and financial planning. Yes, it is, but I think we need to continue to talk about it because I still see individuals and, and you know pockets of individuals who are not looking at their pension planning as much as they should be. Hmm. And, and we mentioned at the start of this podcast that sort of QB Partners, your firm specializes in sort of um, cross-border financial planning. Yeah. What are the main considerations um, when choosing sort of a pension domicile, would you say? Yeah, well, yeah, we deal with financial advisors and product providers all around the world. So we deal with individuals with lots of cross-border situations. So by cross-border, I mean people who've moved from the UK to, to live overseas, people who've lived and worked overseas and are moving back to the UK, but also non-domicile individuals uh, in the UK, people who might have married somebody of a different nationality and and these people often end up accumulating assets in lots of different jurisdictions um, so it's important that there's a relationship between the jurisdiction in which the pension is held and the country of residence and that and, and bearing in mind that that country of residence can change and the reason that that's important is again because of tax because there is often double tax treaty or a protocol between uh, the country in which the, the pension is resident and the, the country of residence of the individual. And individuals, you know, especially these high net worth private wealth individuals can move around from country to country. So there, there has to be great care taken as to where the pension is located to make sure that it's a compatible jurisdiction, primarily from a tax point of view, with where the client is resident. And then if the client moves again, that, that may need to be reviewed. And if they move again, that may need to be reviewed. If they, you know, one of the, if there's a couple and one of them is uh, resident in one jurisdiction, but the other one's moving around a lot, that needs to be taken into account as well. So there's, there's a lot of variables that need to be taken into account in, in cross-border pension planning in particular. And where do you see the choice of domicile sitting in terms of the rankings of other maybe considerations and factors? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's up there with the, the main considerations. Really, you've got to you know look at the domicile. You've got to look at uh, of the of the pension. You've got to look at obviously the the credentials of the pension provider. Carry out due diligence on the pension provider and make sure that they are going to be around. You know, for for the long term. Pensions is long-term financial planning so you, you need you need to be working with somebody who you can establish that ongoing continued relationship with so that's really important as well as is the jurisdiction and when you get down to so the reason i made the distinction between uh, pensions and investment is that pensions are uh, a tax structure really at the end of the day so they might be a trust or a contract-based structure and then that needs to be invested into um, into investments so the choice of investment is, is very important as well. And that depends on the client's 
investment risk profile. And it also depends on where the client is in their life. So if the client is um, in the accumulation phase where they're, you know, they're saving for their retirement, then they might be a higher risk investor. They might be a bit more speculative. Um, but once the client gets to retirement age, then they've got a pension fund and they want to protect that. Typically, they want to protect that pension fund so their risk appetite lowers and it's about it becomes about capital protection. So, yeah, I'd say they, they were the sort of three main factors, really, you know, choose the right jurisdiction, choose the right provider, and then choose the right investment provider and investment manager um, for the pension. And you've been a big proponent and an and advocate of Guernsey. And of course, that was sort of demonstrated no less with your appearance at the Private Wealth Forum. What would you say are the sort of advantages Guernsey has as a sort of pensions domicile? Yeah, well, I'm actually based in the Isle of Man because that's um, where I've lived for a lot of my career. So I would say uh, other jurisdictions are available, first of all. But, um, you know, obviously this is a this is a Guernsey finance podcast. So, uh, you know, Guernsey is a great jurisdiction um, for pensions. And the, the reason for that, when we're looking at this um, sort of pensions um, domicile, you know, where, where the where the pension uh, is is resident, if it were, as it were, if the pension provider is resident, it's because of this relationship between the country where the pension uh, is is cited and the, and the country of residence of the individual. And one of the key advantages that Guernsey has is that it's able to pay pension income gross to many jurisdictions around the world. So we don't have to rely to the same extent on the double tax treaties, the double tax protocols uh, between the country where the pension is cited and, and the country of residence, because Guernsey is able to pay gross of tax to too many jurisdictions. So when the client reaches retirement age and start drawing in income, Guernsey will pay it out gross and then it's taxed in the jurisdiction, the country of residence. And that's, that simplifies things a lot. And it means that you don't get caught out by, by sometimes, you know, these, these double tracks TCs where you have to ensure that if you're working with, with a relation, a country relationship where there's double tax treaties involved, you have to make sure that you know, one, they work and the, and the client isn't taxed in the country where the pension is and then taxed in their country of residence as well. Uh, and two, sometimes it's better to be taxed in the country of residence rather than the country where the pension is because the tax rates can differ. So it all gets quite complicated and there's a lot of planning that has to be done. With Guernsey, the pension can be paid out gross and then taxed in the, in the jurisdiction of residence. So that's a, that's a big advantage. And then, you know, we talked about globally mobile people and a lot of uh, private wealth clients are going to be globally mobile, going to be moving around within their careers and even once they retire. And they're moving from one tax jurisdiction to another. So if they didn't have somebody who was very closely helping them manage their finances, they could get caught out by moving from one tax jurisdiction to another without uh, looking at how that was going to impact on the taxation of their pension income. Whereas if they're working with Guernsey, uh, Guernsey is paying the income gross um, and it's taxed in the, in the country of jurisdiction. So if you, in country of residence, sorry. So then if you move to another country, yet yeah, the, the local tax rate changes, but there's still only, still only being taxed in one place. Move again, it changes again, and it's still being taxed in one place. So that's, that, that's a big advantage, I think, of Guernsey. There are, there are other advantages, uh, I think, of, of Guernsey. Well, one is that, I think it's, we talked about this actually in, in the private wealth forum. I think Guernsey's a, a gateway to some, you know, really 
strong uh, multinational organizations who, who have subsidiaries in, in Guernsey. And if you've got a private wealth individual, then one, you know, we talked about the importance of the due diligence of the organization. So one, they can see that it's a robust organization. It might be a household name. Their due diligence that they or their advisor carry out will, will be satisfactory. But also, if they are globally mobile and moving from one place to another, if the Guernsey office that they've originally accessed the pension through and taken out the pension through has uh, is part of a global organization with subsidiaries in other jurisdictions, if the client moves to Asia or moves to the Middle East or moves to America, then it's likely possible that um, the organization with whom they have the pension will have offices in those jurisdictions so they can still receive local service. And then the other thing that's really important going back to jurisdiction is that, you know, you're putting your money, it's, it's sometimes people's life savings, it's certainly a big part of their, of their wealth. For a lot of people, you know, their uh, major wealth is in the, the property, their residence and, and their pension. So it's a really key part of the individual's wealth and they're trusting that to a jurisdiction and trusting that to a company and trusting that to an investment provider. If the jurisdiction is secure and stable, as Guernsey is, then that gives them a lot of comfort. You know, Guernsey has a strong standard and poor rating as a jurisdiction. It's on the OECD whitelist, and it has strong political and, ec and economic stability. So that's all, you know, these are all ticks in the boxes when somebody's looking at which jurisdiction, which provider, and which investment manager, that the jurisdictional boxes can, can be ticked uh, the pension provider boxes then can be ticked. And then you know, there's obviously investment providers available within Guernsey as well, but you can go further afield in terms of investment provider if necessary. Brilliant. And uh, just to finish, another theme sort of for Private Wealth Forum was this idea of the generational handover, which is a key, key sort of talking point within sort of, the, yeah, I guess the private wealth space at present. Are you seeing an impact from sort of younger generations as they start to sort of use these structures or are there sort of other major drivers behind this? You know, how else is the demand for pension products evolving as this sort of younger cohort sort of enters? Yeah, that was something, that, again, we discussed at the forum and it was, there were some really in interesting discussions about that. And it is um, something which I'm actually quite, quite passionate about. I, I have two now grown up children, but still young children, um, still, still young adults. So it's something that I'm I'm interested in, and I think the providers um, have to be careful about this um, and have to have an eye on the future. And you know, often um, providers, financial services providers, they're, they're under a lot of pressure from shareholders to uh, meet targets and to to meet sales targets and to meet profit targets on a, a year by year basis. And they, they, you know, they often perhaps a five-year sort of planning window. Um, but if you've got people who are in their 20s and their 30s, then you need to look beyond the five-year planning window, I would suggest, to the future of those those people. And there's two things I think, you know, cause me a little bit concern about that. Um, the first is how people engage with financial services is changing dramatically. And, and the, the difference between how I might engage with financial services and how you, Brandon, might engage with financial services as a young person, there's quite a lot of difference between that, I would suggest. So I will be more traditionally engaged with financial services, you know, perhaps through a financial advisor, and I like to meet the person that I'm dealing with, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the younger generation are doing everything through uh, mobile, through through online, through, you know, a lot, a lot 
more using of tech. So I'd say to the providers, you've got to invest in technology. You've got to keep up to date with the technology. I think I think banks is where this is quite stark. You know, you've got the, the high street banks who are still quite traditional. Yes, they've invested in technology. Uh, yes, you know, you, you can have an app for your high street bank on your phone now, but they're not nowhere near uh, where the digital banks are. And the younger generation, I actually use digital banks as well, um, but the younger generation are using the using the uh, digital banks um, and favoring the digital banks. And it's the same for you know, trust companies, insurance companies, etc. If you don't start to invest in that technology that young people are using, when they get older and they start to accumulate their wealth, it's going to be accumulated through the digital platforms. It's not necessarily going to be accumulated with those high street banks in my example, but those providers who have more traditional forms of engagement. So that's that's the first thing that's, that I think is important. And then the other, the other thing is that the providers often have a benchmark in terms of the wealth of the individual that they deal with. So, you know, even when there's a wealthy family involved, the younger people within the family may not have access to, to the wealth until uh, the parents pass away. And, and sometimes that's del- deliberate because you know, the parents want them to be seen as working for their money. They don't want things to come too easy to them. So, you know, even if they're left money, it might be in trust and they might not get access to it till, till later on in life. And then there's lots of other younger people who, who just simply don't have that level of money, but they might be in good careers. Uh, they might be earning good income, but they, you know, they're younger. They want to spend it on, on other things. They've got disposable income perhaps, but they haven't got investable wealth if you can make that distinction between having a you know lump of money to invest in that and having a high level of income but if the providers ignore those people because they're not meeting their benchmarks in terms of how much money they've got as a minimum investment then they're going to ignore the future of those people as well because they'll start to accumulate their wealth with with somebody else and then when they are over the benchmark for the uh, provider they won't necessarily be engaged with that provider because they'll have gone somewhere else. So it's trying to find, and I, I understand that there's a balance between profitability and, and, and engaging people uh, and engaging the younger people. And you know, if they don't meet the, the minimum investment benchmarks, it might be that at this stage, they're not particularly profitable areas of business. But you know, we've got to remember that those people are going to be in good jobs. They're going to accumulate wealth. And in 10, 15, 20 years time, they're going to be above your benchmarks. They're going to have wealth to invest. So don't don't neglect them. Don't ignore them. Find ways of engaging with them, and that will help to um, reinforce the future of, of your organisation. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for your time today, David. It was a delight to have you on the podcast. No, you're welcome, Brandon. It's nice to meet you. Uh, it was great to talk through the uh, the changing trends in the pension sector, particularly from a private wealth perspective, and also continuing some of those talking points from the uh, from the private wealth forum from last year. Uh, if you like to uh, read more about uh, the, the forum, please head over to guernseyfinance.com. Thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, we have a backlog of interviews on the Guernsey Finance podcast channel. You can check them out by searching for Guernsey Finance on your preferred podcast platform. We also have links to David and QB partners in our show notes, so check them out to hear more from them. Until then, we look forward to hearing back from you soon, but until then, it's goodbye from Guernsey.